to say on the uh, on the onset here that I am uh, thrilled about. You know, uh, as Cardi mentioned, uh, there were uh, I guess three couples from this region who attended the uh, family conference in Denver. So it was uh, Char and I. The Wonkies also attended, and of course the My Hands. You know, it's funny whenever I say My Hand, it's like I always think I'm talking about Chris and Melanie. So we're, we're now that Jamal and Risa are married, we call them my hands, but it sounds like uh, Jamal's parents. <laughs> so we're, we're going to have to maybe say my hand junior. Hopefully they don't mind. <laughs> but uh, those, three th those three couples, we attended uh, the North American Family Conference in Denver, Colorado. And uh, it was certainly an incredible conference. And I know I speak for Jamal when I say this. I mean, we both feel privileged to get the opportunity to share uh, just a couple convictions that he and I have developed from attending this conference. But just a few things for you to know about this conference before we even get into the sermon this morning. You know, there were three different tracks offered at the family conference. There was a track for children's ministry. There was one for youth and family ministry. And then there was also a track for parenting. And the parenting track included two special tracks. One track was for adoption. So for those families who have children who have been adopted, they uh, attended that track. And the name of that track was Forever Families, which I think is neat. And then there was a track on the area of special needs. And uh, that track was named Exceptional Families. So the group of nearly 1,200 attendees who attended the conference was broken down into about over 500 parents, roughly 480 youth and family leaders, and over 170 individuals who are connected with kids' kingdom in some capacity or another. And I'll tell you, we all attended classes that were taught by, in my opinion, I was sitting there, I was blown away. I think these classes were taught by some of the most educated and passionate people in this area of family ministry. Uh, so needless to say, and this is without exaggeration, I was inspired and informed in a way that I've never been before. And uh, it, it might be encouraging uh, for you to know this. You know, as Shar and I were sitting in some of the classes, we realized some of the uh, ideas that were being uh, suggested and introduced, and we thought, hey, in the Southwest region, we're doing some of this stuff. Or at least there are conv conversations already started around these things. And for me sitting there, I thought, you know what? Yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes you go to these things and you're thinking, okay, I, you know, I need to go and learn how I'm not doing anything right, and then be able to come back and say, okay, here's what we need to do. But it was quite the opposite. I was really encouraged by what I see. Okay, great. We're thinking about these ideas already. But of course, you know, just like the Bible say, the things that we're doing that are good, that's helping us to be godly, there's a way in which we need to continue in these things and think about how to take it even higher. And so that's really what Jamal and I, uh, our goals are this morning, is to really talk about really two main convictions we left the conference with, and we feel like, man, that's, these, these things or these thoughts, these concepts, there are things we need to always be growing in and constantly challenging ourselves to do better. You know, everything uh, culminated into uh, 
a worship service that took place on Sunday morning. The worship service, the attendance for that was uh, 2,400 adults and children. The um, uh, lead evangelist of the Denver church, John Lust, he preached a message on that, in that, on that morning entitled, Go and Make Disciples Through All Generations. And, uh, you know, it's really this morning where I want to kind of take us and really present what I, again, what I feel is really the one conviction God really crystallized for me. And so if you would, please turn your Bibles over to Hebrews chapter 2. You know, the theme of the conference was all generations. The fact that God desired to see all generations be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth was emphasized throughout the entire conference. And uh, as I think about it, even in coming back and, and really digging into the Bible, because you know, you, you come from uh, a time like that, it's almost like you put on different lenses as you're studying the scriptures, and there are things you didn't really pay attention to that starts popping out. And so as I meditate and thought about this concept of all generations, I went into the scriptures and really started digging a little deeper. You know, faith is not something that God wants you and I to develop and keep to ourselves. That's not the goal of faith. And really, truth of the matter is, faith is actually a legacy that God wants us to pass on from generation to generation. You with me this morning? When you study the Bible, the next time you go through, uh, you know, yearly study of the entire Bible, underline all the places where it says from generation to generation. There are several places in the Bible where that's mentioned. This is God's heart. This is what he wants. So simply put, here's my conviction. Here's what I came back with. You know, the passing on of our faith won't happen on a significant level unless we deepen and expand our conviction that the church is a family. We won't be able to pass this faith on from generation to generation. With our kids in the church and also as we reach out to those outside of the church, it will not happen unless we deepen that conviction that, you know what, this is not an organization. But rather, this is the family of God as the Bible describes it. You know, there are so many words in the Bible, so many, what I call family language in the Bible that describes God's people, and it's weaved throughout the entire Bible. And uh, the uh, page of your Bible that's turned there to Hebrews chapter 2, we're going to go there. But before we even read that passage, let me have you consider several other passages. And you don't need to turn there, just listen. So Psalm 68, verse 5 through 6, it says, a God is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. Ephesians 2.19 says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Galatians 6 verse 10, love this one. 
Therefore, as we have opportunities, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. 1 Peter chapter 2.17 says, show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 10, it says, and in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia, yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. And as uh, you turn your gaze over to Hebrews chapter 2 here, and let's dig into that one. Uh, and verse 10 is where we'll start. So the writer of Hebrews right here, and he's really describing Jesus and who Jesus is to us. And he says, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. But the one who makes people holy, I'm sorry, both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters in the assembly. I will sing your praises. I mean, what an incredible passage of scripture. And this is filled with just God's conviction or his desire for us as his people to be family. You know, you look here in uh, verse 11 where it describes... Um, you know, brothers and sisters. The church certainly is not our natural family, right? You, you and I weren't naturally born into the church. I think some of us think we were, right? It's like, man, I had faith since I was itty-bitty. But we were naturally born into the, into the church, at least not a physical birth. We were baptized into the church. So a birth took place, but it was a spiritual birth. So in verse 11, you know, the Greek word used for brothers and sisters, I can't really pronounce, pronounce it. I'm going to try, but I know you can't spell it, so it doesn't matter. So the, word, the Greek word is adelphoi, and it refers here to believers, both men and women, as part of God's family. So it's talking about disciples. It's talking about Christians. And other translations describe this, instead of saying that we are a part of, of the same family, it says we are all from the same father, referring to God. So because he's our father, then that puts us in family together. And this is why we refer to each other as brothers and sisters. There's even more, if you can believe it here in this verse, in this passage rather. You see here in, in verse 12, where it uses the word assembly. You know, the Greek word, ecclesia, is the Greek word that is being translated as assembly or congregation. And ecclesia is commonly translated as church in the New Testament. Now, the writer of the book of Hebrews is quoting a psalm from the Old Testament, Psalm 22. So he's using the word assembly here, but it's the same concept. He's talking about God's people, God's family. And this is the church. So that's what the church is. The church is God's family. It's a place where God has put all of his children. And we can be brothers and sister in the church. And you say, Pierre, okay, we knew that. What, what, why are we 
repeating that. Now, first of all, I don't think, I don't think all of us really think on that level all the time. But, you know, this is significant because many people are confused, guys. We grow up thinking that the church is the building where the people meet. Or the event that takes place inside of the building where we come together. Right? I'm going to church. I understand what people mean, but it's not scriptural. You know, as Mark mentioned, it's a nib, not in Bible. And sometimes we even get tripped up and we limit the family of God or worship of God to just the songs we sing. But it's so much more. Church is not a building or the event. It's God's family. You know, I've shared this with you before. This is a little book that I picked up from a, a CPS office in Dallas. And this book is actually written to toddlers. And it's really the writer's attempt to really form the mind of young people about what church is. The title is Let's Go to Church. And let's see, this is what it says. It's so we, and, and this is in the first page, it says, So we visit him, talking about God, at his house. The church is God's house. It's not talking about, it's not talking figuratively or spiritually. It's talking about a building. And it's, it's shown in here that the concept or the thinking is that the church is, is a building or structure where God is contained. Again, it's cute, but it's a nib, right? This is the way the book ends. It says, when we leave church, we say, bye, God, I'll visit again soon. I mean, isn't that our thinking sometimes? We think we leave God in the building and we go and live the rest of our lives. Guys, no wonder we grew up confused about what church is. This is what our world, our religious world, is teaching people that church is. Problem is, it's not in the Bible. You know, uh, I have a picture of our family here. You know, if you're going to show one picture, show the one you look nice in, all right? <laughs> so I, <laughs> I figured, hey, let me pick this one. I think I look nice in that one. But, you know, th this is our family. Started with Shar and I, right? Once there was a lonely man. <laughs> and God blessed, God blessed me. I found a wonderful wife, beautiful, spiritual, all of the above. And then God added to our family. He expanded it. You know, we have two precious daughters, which, who we love them. You know, there are times where I look at our older one and I see Shara. But then there are times she does something, I'm like, man, that's me. <laughs> and then it's like, it's, it's, all, it's all intertwined. You know, the younger one, she reminds me of my mom and my sisters. Whenever I look at her, you know, her, her body, she, everything, it's like my mom. But you think about it, what God has done, even on a physical level with family, he's taken people and he's intertwined them and put them together. And really, this is what family is. The Sajay family is not complete when one of us is not there. Each of us adds something unique and of value to the whole. You know, what we've added has transformed the intrinsic makeup of the family. You know, before Samantha, the, little, the younger one, came around, you know, three of us had something going. There was a chemistry there, right? She came in, had something, now that's changed that. And we're no longer that if she's not there. 
So we're all together. We're all family. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 24b. I think this is what God is communicating here. I want to make sure I give Jamal all of his time. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 24b, check this out. The Bible says, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lack it. So that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And Paul is describing the family of God, the family of believers, and he's describing that there's this give and take uh, interconnectedness that takes place with us. On a spiritual, emotional level, with our material things and all that, we are connected. So all of this, Pierre, how, how do we apply all of this? What's the application? What's the implication for us in the Southwest region? You know, family provides an environment for faith to be passed down from generation to generation. Members of a family pitch in to take care of those who are young amongst them. In about, I guess, eight minutes or so, Jamal will come up and speak on a specific conviction that he's gained from attending the conference on how to take care of the young among us and pass our faith down. And he's going to be addressing not just the youth, but also young Christians among us. Because, you know, a family, we all pitch in. All the members pitch in to take care of the young. But, you know, before Jamal comes up, let me leave you with a couple of interesting facts about the, the family of believers, okay? Now, these are things I think that makes you go, hmm. If, if some of you are old enough, you remember that, right? And, you know, the first thing here is, do you know that God has no grandchildren? You ever thought about that? I mean, nowhere in the Bible does God say, you are my grandchildren. Now, I know it's great to have grandchildren. This is not my point. I'm not condemning those of you who are excited about being grandparents. I mean, of course, the old Zans up here, I said grandchildren, they lit up. Uh, of course, we see Mark on Facebook. I mean, the man's in love with his granddaughter. It's a great thing to have grandchildren, right? But, you know, the Bible, say, the Bible doesn't say God has grandchildren. What does that mean? We're all his children. Every single one of us. It doesn't matter how old you are, which generation, what, what phase of life you're in. We're all children of God. We need to always be growing in how much we value and respect each other. Because that person next to you is a child of God. Husband, respect your wife. Value her. Honor her. She's a child of God. Wives, respect your husband. Value him. What he brings to the table. Lift him up. Help him to be the leader of the family he ought to be. He's a child of God. Second thing that, make you, that makes you go, hmm. Do you guys know that Jesus and Paul chose to live a single life? He, they were singles. But... But here's the thing, but they promoted marriage and children in the Bible more than any other character. Did you know that? 
I mean, you see in the Gospels, Jesus constantly stopping what he was doing to heal someone's children. Talking about marriage and how God views marriage. Paul has written more about marriage in the New Testament than any other writer. You know, at the conference, Frank Kim, he mentioned, you can't even do a marriage class without pointing something out that Paul wrote about marriage and about children. Right? We all know, we tell our children, honor your parents, right? That's from Paul. And then, of course, you know, we go on later on and we realize we need not to exasperate them either. That's also from Paul. So what, what's the whole point? What am I saying? Guys, that we're all a family. We're all part. It doesn't matter where you fit. You know, specialized ministries, like when we have the singles ministry, we have the married ministry, the campus, the, the youth and family, those are good. And it helps us to really be effective in reaching out to people outside of the church. But we have to be careful and not, and to make sure that we're, we're fighting against the tendency to operate on these little islands. That's not family. We need each other. And I know what you're thinking, and you're like, hey, we need to change the structure then. You know, after the brother made this point at the conference, I went to him and I asked him, are you saying we need to change these structures? He said, no, that's not what I'm saying. There's benefit to that. He said, but we need to make sure that each of us have a conviction in the church that, yeah, these things are tools we use to help us, but we are family. You know, the natural families in the church need the single disciples. Whether they be singles in the campus, singles in the singles ministry, singles in the pace center, the families, we need the single disciples. Here's a statistic. A teenager with three Three to five non-parental adult relationships in the church is highly likely to embrace the faith of their parents. And we're talking about people who are not their parents. So, of course, you know, the single folks can definitely be mentors to our kids and help them to see, you know, what we're teaching them at home. It's not just about our little family, but this is God's will for all people. You know, uh, we can gain inspiration from our single brothers and sisters who embrace the single-minded devotion to God that being a single allows them. You know, that could be a source of inspiration for us who are married with children. But, you know, at the same time, the single disciples need the families in the church as well. I'll let you ponder on that. But it's the truth. You know, I was, uh, as I wrap up here, and uh, if Dominique can, uh, I guess, get on deck to lead us in a, in a short song before Jamal come up. You know, I was 19 years old when I got baptized into Christ. God placed me in his family as a single man. One of the brothers who studied the Bible with me was the evangelist of the region where I was attending school. He was in his mid-30s at the time. He was married with two very young children. And I remember showing up at his house for a Bible study, and he was in the backyard building a snowman with his daughters. And I kid you not, you know, my thinking was, I found the Huxtables. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this was an African-American couple. But I didn't grow up. That wasn't the deal in my family. I know I was loved. It was understood that I was loved. And my dad is a great provider. He sacrificed greatly, but, you know, it wasn't expressed in my family. Love was not expressed. But it was, um, you know, after being a disciple for some time, I was, I, you know, and I started liking one of the sisters. 
I remember sitting down with uh, that brother, and he helping me think about spiritual qualities to look for in a woman. You know, in 2003, he officiated Shara and I's wedding. And, uh, you know, this is significant for me. As I mentioned, I didn't grow up in a home where, you know, where I had these male role models who would help me to understand how to love and express love. And so this has been great. You know, Willis Ware, that's the brother's name, and other married brothers and sisters invited me into their homes and allowed me to experience family on a different level than what I had experienced up to that point in my life. And that has had a profound impact on me. And it's even helped me on how to help my extended family as well. So singles, we need the natural families in the church. We need each other because we are family. You know, before Jamal come, comes up here, I want to take the risk of really causing total chaos in the room. And this is, before you follow my instruction, this is for those who are physically able to do this. I'm going to ask us, if we can all stand up, we're, don't, don't do it yet, stand up, and I'm going to give you about 60 seconds or so, and let's switch where we're sitting. Sometimes, you know, we come in here and we have our designated places and we just sit there, we create the islands. But let's, let's shake it up this morning, sit next to someone you've never sat next to before, and let's be family. Amen?